Welcome to the Change My Mind podcast, uh, where today we're going to be talking about God is Love in our series for high schoolers. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast before, you've probably heard me tell this story before, but many moons ago, I was at a winter camp at the church I interned for. Um, there was one high school girl in particular uh, who came up and shared testimony on the last night of camp. Now, she had grown up in church her whole life. Um, she had struggled with a lot of different issues up to that weekend. I won't go into all the details, um, but as she shared her testimony, she began to cry and said that she realized for the first time that week that God loved her, that God really loved her. And she just broke down crying and so many people really felt for her and came up and hugged her and were just like, this is so amazing. This is awesome. And uh, oddly enough, in my cynicism, I rolled my eyes and just thought, oh, come on. You know, uh, here we go. Here's the waterworks over something as basic as God's love. Are you serious? You act like God's love is some kind of life-changing, earth-shattering, world-altering thing. And then it hit me. It is. God's love is so amazing and transforming. It goes beyond our full comprehension. And yet it had become, or I had let it become, stale to me. Now I'm convinced there's four kinds of people probably listening to this. Maybe you're like that girl and you feel unlovable. Like God's love um, is for everyone but you is sometimes the way I hear it. Maybe, maybe sometimes internally you can say, oh, I know that God loves everyone. Um, and I know that God loves me if, if I was only a little more holy, uh, if I was only a little more lovable. Um, and God's love is hopefully going to radically rock your world. Um, or maybe, number two is you're like me, and you hear about that, and once again, maybe you're like, oh, I know it, I've heard it before, so it sounds trivial and boring. You've heard it before and think, I could preach about God's love, but give me something new. You know, give, give me something fresh, not just old, boring God's love. Uh, or uh, maybe kind of the next two uh, are some of my non-Christian friends who might be thinking, God is love? You know, that, that's a nice idea, but it's just an idea. I mean, it doesn't square up with the reality of suffering in the world or hypocrisy of Christians or... You know, they might say the fact that there is no God, or we can't know if there is a God. Uh, the fourth might be some of my, um, I guess you call them ex-Christian friends, where um, actually God's love makes total sense, where you're like, yep, I could totally see that. Uh, I believe in God, I believe that God is loving, but that is kind of the basis of where you start with God, and so maybe you're really struggling or deconstructing aspects of his holiness, his sovereignty, his wrath, and things that to you seem like they don't match up with God's love. So let's see what God's word says to each of us as, we're, uh, as it pertains to all this. This is from 1 John chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. Now here's some context for us. Uh, first, this passage comes from the Apostle John, known as the Beloved Apostle or Beloved Disciple. He's writing largely to a group of Christians who were recent converts from Judaism. 
Now, if you were to ask them, these people who had just become Christians, who had maybe really only until a few months ago had heard about God uh, or had accepted Christ as their Savior, if you were to ask them about God, the first two things they would likely say or they would have said before they were Christians is that God is one. Right? We believe in one God. That is it. We don't believe in the Roman gods or worship Zeus or Hera or whoever it might be. We believe in one God. God is one. And they would probably tell you God is holy. Right? We looked at a few weeks ago God's holiness. And in Isaiah, he, he is constantly sung to by angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, if you uh, were here a few weeks ago, you might remember that. Uh, And what that meant for them is that God was so far above us, so far removed from us, there is no way, it was unthinkable that he would become a human being like Jesus. Even today, one of the biggest barriers for a lot of Jews and Muslims coming to faith in Jesus is that uh, God loving us the way that Christians talk about is just incompatible with their faith. Now, for those people, this was incredible, right? For them to come to this realization that absolutely rocked their world, to think that God was not this cosmic scorekeeper punishing us for all our bad deeds and rewarding us only if we're good. Now, if you feel unlovable, that your sin is so great and you're broken beyond love, this is good news because that is untrue. And the truth is that God loves you unconditionally, just as you are, uh, and, and for who you could be. Like we talked about a few weeks ago with grace, God's love doesn't depend on how holy you are, or how popular you are, or how much money you have. If I can quote one of my favorite songs, this comes from Judah and the Lion. Uh, he has this great line, it's in the chorus, where it's just, God loves you. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, just because he does. Love is a very nebulous thing these days, though. It can mean a lot of different things to different people. So how specifically does God love us, especially for uh, my deconstructing friends, right? You know, that they might already have a preconceived notion of what love is, but let's look at what the Bible tells us about what it means that God loves us. It says he loved us, not by just forgetting about our sins or that they just weren't a big deal. No, it says that he loved us by sending his son to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Now, for the original audiences that started from the perspective that God is holy, full of wrath against sinners, like that was wild. Not the wrath against sinners part, but the mercy and grace for sinners aspect. Absolutely wild to them. The ancient Jewish and other pagan people would sacrifice animals to God or to their gods as justice for their sins. And and John is saying here that God is still just. He has provided the sacrifice for our sin uh, for us because he loves us. And this is radically a, a different love than we define it today. Uh, this is why, once again, some of my friends would, would deconstruct their faith and call themselves ex-Christians because to them, that, that's not love. That's not the way they would love if they were God. Uh, what John is saying, though, or assuming here at least, is that we have sin and that God is holy, that he hates sin, and the payment for sin is the life of the sinner or a substitute, like an animal, and so Jesus was our substitute. That was the great act of love. Once again, a lot of people take great offense to that first part, right? Because we don't start with a holy God who hates sin. We start with a God who loves us and, you know, maybe we assume doesn't care about sin. And sometimes they no longer believe, right, that we're really sinful. Their their framework, though, starts with that relatively new belief, just that God loves us, right? Which is true, but it's not always helpful when we start with that framework, And so to them, they can't imagine that God would be offended by our sin and therefore, well, maybe there's no need for Jesus. 
But back then, people were amazed that a holy God would love them. But many of us today uh, take for granted, uh, are almost feel entitled to God's love and are offended that a loving God would be holy. Where it was, it was the opposite for a lot of the Jewish audience back in that day, that they were offended that a holy God would be so gracious and loving, as we saw with the parable of the prodigal son uh, a few weeks ago. When John says God is love, he is saying it with the backdrop of a holy, good, and just God. So here's like the, the point of all this, um, is that when we first understand God's holiness, only then will his love be amazing to us. If you get anything out of this, it is to first understand God's holiness, and then we will see just how amazing his love is. Now, if we get those mixed up, we create God in our own image who does not square up with the picture of the God that we see in the Bible. That's the cure for the apathy or entitlement mindset many of us have with God's love. I mentioned earlier that many of us have an inaccurate foundation of who God is that hinders us from believing and experiencing his love, but we also need to re-examine our definition of love. So if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard uh, some form of this before, the New Testament written in Greek, and the Greeks actually had four words for love. For example, the word for brotherly love is phileo, you know, hence Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There's also eros for erotic or romantic love. Um, and there's a lesser one called storge, which is sort of a familial love. Like, look, you may not like your cousin Bobby, but you gotta love him. He's family. Uh, the final word uh, that they use for love is the one in this passage, and it is agape. Agape can also be translated as charity. Um, now, familial love, once again, it's one that you should be entitled to receive from your parents or relatives. Brotherly love is one that you earn from others. Uh, but agape love is love that you give to someone who does not discern it, uh, deserve it and who did not earn it or cannot pay you back. So you might buy food, let's say, for a homeless person, not because you're like, well, they're such a good person because, you know, they, uh, they worked at my store, so they've earned it. No, you're probably not expecting them uh, to earn it, and you're probably not expecting them to repay you, that they're going to buy you food someday because you understand that they are so poor. There's no way that they're probably going to repay you. That is the kind of love that God shows us. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it, yet he still loves us and chooses to show us love by giving his life for ours, and that is incredible. God doesn't have a list of prerequisites to love us. He's not waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us. He isn't going to stop loving you or I because we mess up. That's who God is. And that's who we are as beloved children. Look at what John says is the natural response to those who have been so loved by God. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's that simple. Because God first loved us, we love others. We love others not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, but because we want to love like God loves us. You know, I remember thinking one day when my brother, uh, think about this one day, my brother and I were at the gym. Um, we were probably like maybe 16, 17. Um, I was probably 16, 17. He was probably like 15. Um, we go to the gym and, uh, you know, this was like a smaller one in a nicer neighborhood. So we just kind of had like cubbies that we would put our phones in and stuff like that. So we put our phones in, we go, we start working out. Um, and we see an old bully, a guy who used to bully me in middle school. Um, and it was weird because like this guy literally like punched me in the gut on the last day of school and ripped up my diploma in front of everyone. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty brutal, pretty embarrassing. And, you know, my parents like would still talk about like what a, you know, wimp or victim I was. Um, and so it was just something, you know, I always had like that, that uh, angst or that 
that frustration in my heart towards that. And so I'd grown probably like six inches and probably put on like 40 or 50 pounds and was playing football, working out. So I see this guy. All of a sudden, you know, I haven't seen him in like four or five years. All of a sudden, his attitude has changed towards me. You know, he's super nice and apologetic about how he treated us. And, you know, I just say, hey, man, you know, it's all water under the bridge, you know. And I'm thinking in my mind, God loved me so much. How can I not forgive you? You know, we're such different people now, hopefully. Um, and so, you know, we have a good conversation and then uh, he leaves the gym. Well, a few minutes later, uh, we go over to the cubbies. We notice my brother's phone is gone. And, you know, I think, well, you probably just misplaced it. You left it in the car. You lost it. He goes, no, I know I brought it in. And so we go to the front desk and we tell them about it. And they look on the cameras and it turns out that guy had stolen my brother's phone. We caught him red-handed right on camera. Now, the gym staff, the, the lady at the front desk, actually knew his mom, was friends with this guy's mom, and called his mom, told him about it, who immediately caught him, uh, was furious because he had a history of this. Like, I think before he'd gone to, like, juvenile hall and gotten in a ton of trouble at school and stuff like that. Probably been to, like, some different, like, continuation schools and stuff like that. And so... Um, I think it was she called like, you know, me or my mom and said, I'm so angry at him. I'm so sorry. We're going to come over right now, return the phone. Um, And so they pull up in our driveway. I mean, maybe like, you know, 30 minutes after the whole ordeal started or after we saw him and, um, and, you know, he comes out, he's just super sad, like really ashamed, really embarrassed, probably, you know, got a real uh, talking to is a uh, mild way to put it at home. Um, You know, he'd probably been crying. Um, and so my brother, he was understandably mad at the guy, he gets his phone, he's like, I'm out of here, you know, peace out, like, go, you know, have a nice life, man, don't ever want to hear from you again, uh, rightfully so, understandably so, and um, I remember, though, looking at him and thinking, that's me, every time I sin, that's me, and yet Jesus loves me so much, and so when he came to return the phone, I just, hey, man, can, can I just give you a hug, I just want you to know I love you, and I forgive you, um, Nothing crazy happened in that moment, but my mom was like absolutely flabbergasted. I mean, so incredibly astounded. You know, she started going, what, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And telling her, because that's me. That, that, that's the love that I received from Jesus and that I want to show to others. Now, at the time, she was not a Christian. She wasn't coming to church with me or anything like that. This is one of those things that spurred her on to be like, wow, maybe this Jesus thing isn't so bad after all. Maybe I should you know, check this out or give this a shot. She still tells this story. I mean, that must have happened like 15 years ago or something like that. She still tells that story to this day, to this day. She still tells it and like brags about it. Um, It was that impactful on her. Um, it, It really made that much of a transformative difference in her life. And now she's following Jesus. Now, I later found out that bully, uh, he kind of continued his ways. He eventually went to juvenile hall uh, again. Um, I think he, uh, I, I talked to him years later. I, I think he had told me that he went to prison uh, for a time as well. But I did find out that same conversation. He said that he was going to a church nearby um, and that, you know, it was acts of agape love uh, like mine that made him want to seek redemption and seek love in Jesus. Now, the love that God has shown each of us is that powerful, is even more powerful and amazing and life-changing. And the love you show because God loves you can be powerful and amazing and life-changing too. And I'm just so excited for the ways that we can respond and say, God, because you have loved me, I want to love someone else and show that same love and grace and compassion everywhere.